Mom, I got the job in Manhattan. Do you have a warm enough winter coat? What about your car? I'm selling it with Kelly Blue Book Instant Cash Offer. How? I enter my license plate number, miles, condition, upload photos, and boom! An official cash offer from a local dealership. A cash offer instantly? Oh, did you call Aunt Stella? She's right there in Massachusetts. Mom, I literally just got the job. Not everything is as simple as selling your car with Kelly Blue Book Instant Cash Offer. Price it, fix it, trade it, sell it. KBB.com it. Springs in bloom, and so are the new lavender drinks at Starbucks. Enjoy subtle sweet notes of lavender paired with silky matcha or rich espresso for a fresh floral take on classic cafe beverages. Order yours now in the Starbucks app. With Friends Like These is brought to you by Girlfriend Collective. When you feel confident, you feel like you can do it all. And who says you can't? Whether you're running, biking, doing yoga, swimming, or sitting on the couch, Girlfriend Collective has clothes you feel your best in, no matter what you're doing. Girlfriend Collective is sustainable, ethically made activewear for everyone. They make cute and comfortable bras, leggings, shorts, tanks, tees, swimsuits, and more. Their sizing is inclusive, ranging from extra, extra small to 6XL. Whether you're working out, running errands, or doing nothing, Girlfriend Collective has functional fabrics, colors, and styles for any activity. Their best-selling leggings are squat-proof, and they come with pockets, and they have different levels of support, whether you need compression or comfort. They use recycled materials to make their clothing and their shipping 100% recyclable. And Girlfriend Collective also has a garment take-back program called Re-Girlfriend. So once you're done loving your pieces, which of course will be many years from now, send them back to be upcycled into new Girlfriend gear. Join the collective today. For listeners of the show, Girlfriend Collective is offering first-time customers 25% off purchases $100 or more when you go to girlfriend.com slash friends. That's $25 off $100 or more when you go to girlfriend.com slash friends, girlfriend.com slash friends. Hi, I'm Anna Marie Cox, and welcome to With Friends Like These. We have a very candid conversation for you this week. I sat down with Liz Winstead, and she she knows how to stir it up. She's a radical. She's an old-fashioned radical. Liz co-created The Daily Show back in 1996. I am fairly certain there are some of you listening who are not that old. <laughs> she went on from that to form the activist organization Abortion Access Front. She did a bunch of other stuff, too. But right now, she's doing the Abortion Access Front, which is needed now more than ever. We talked about her career in comedy and, you know, the abortions she's had and why she's proudly taken a radical stance on the issue. Liz is not pro-choice. She's not pro-reproductive health. She's pro-abortion. And I will say that she makes a really convincing argument about why all of us who believe in the access to abortion maybe should call ourselves pro-abortion. Later on, uh, we get to the big question for you, which is what the fuck can we do in Texas, and some other suggestions for your activism. Some of them are really easy. Stay tuned. Liz, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. So I kind of, I mean, I know you. I feel like I know you pretty well, but I had to do a little research just to catch up some. And I was reading your bio, and there's a lot of founding involved in your career. (laughs) Right? Yeah, there, I would say that. Yeah, fair. there's a lot of founding or co-creating or creating. Yeah, there's the Daily Show, there's Air America, and there's Lady Parts Justice, 
which became abortion access which became I'm I'm counting those as two kind of which became abortion access front so I'm curious how did you become the kind of person that like founds things I mean honestly a lot of it had to do with if you're not gonna hire me then I'll make it (laughs) Cause I'm a woman and like, it, it was just always like, it was shocking that actually comedy central allowed two women to create, co-create the daily show considering there was a bunch of men who are always just chomping at the bit to do that. You know, of all of like, there's hardly anyone that does even political satire in their standup and especially issue based, um, stuff and and so i was one of a few women that did it but a lot of people don't even know that about me because my fan base knows and they just pick all the men so i was just like i want to do this kind of work and so if you're not going to hire me then i'm just going to make it and then hire other people and so that's what i did and that's the story of it it's just basically if you won't hire me i'll found it kind of i mean It's if you like the direct correlation, like the Daily Show is kind of the only I'll found it thing. Well, that was sort of pre-internet. Right. And and then once technology was available to me and I could teach myself how to make graphics and how to edit and how to do a bunch of stuff, then I just taught myself all the skills so that I could create sizzle reels or create um, the content that I needed to create. And, uh, then I think I just utilized all of the platforms that had come to be because so often you were beholden to casting directors or executive producers who, if they liked you, they liked you, or if you could get in their room, great, possibly you could get a job, Mm -hmm. but now you could just create an audience from whole cloth. And I think that's what happened a lot with you know, especially well, well, there America, it was kind of weird because we had done a show for the Oxygen Channel. Okay. It <laughs> was a satire of sort of the Today Show and uh, the Kelly Ripa talk show. And it was a hybrid show and it lasted six episodes and then they canceled it. So um, it was serendipitous to what am I going to do now? And it was post 9-11. It was like 2003. And as everybody who is of a certain age, and you are the young version, younger end of that certain age, remembers you couldn't challenge the government after 9-11 for a lot of years. And so it was really hard to say, we want to do a satire that takes on everything about how garbage our government and the media is. And people are like, "Mm -mm, we just want feel good things. And so... Coincidentally, Air America was um, in the in the percolating stages and they'd been talking to Al Franken and Al suggested reaching out for a Liz Winstead type. (laughs) So literally, I got a call from a radio guy being Al Franken gave me your number because we're looking for a Liz Winstead type. And I was like, is that because I'm a monster and you want someone sort of like me, but with like nicer qualities? And the guy was like, no, we just figured you wouldn't want to leave TV for radio. And I was like, I'm about to do an MTV spring break show so I can pay my rent. So let me um, say that I would like to throw Liz Winstead's 
actual hat <laughs> in the ring. And then I got that job. And then, um, you know, then that led to all the other things. And I did a Planned Parenthood tour to raise money for Planned Parenthood. And then um, I learned about independent providers and how they're doing the lion's share of the work. And they were kind of like, Planned Parenthood sort of like, you know, Trader Joe's. And then there was this cool, the co-ops and all the cool like farmer's markets were the independent clinics and they needed support. So when I learned about that, I was like, I, I want to do this work. I think I need to be centered on this issue and bring humor because I know it works. And so with Twitter and Facebook and everything, I just did it and then wrote all my comedy friends and producer friends and said, we have to do this. And we did it. And I'm curious, which came first for you as a kid? Um, politics or jokes? So it's funny. I'm, I'm going to say a third answer. And the third answer is I was more the class. First, it was more the class cynic than the class clown. And I think because I grew up in Minneapolis and I didn't have one of those sort of like mean girls high schools. Our high school didn't have like. No, you had a bunch of passive aggressive girls. That's like that's the Minnesota. The Minnesota movie of mean girls would be passive aggressive girls. (laughs) hundred percent. But it was like there was the pretty girls and the popular girls. And there was, you know, but they weren't mean to anybody. They Mm -hmm. just hung out. And like I was on the dance line. You know, I was the captain of the dance line, but we danced to Joan Armour Trading and Stiff Little Fingers. Like we did our crazy halftime to like crazy musicians um, that people were like, what's happening right now? What's this music? And it's like, you know, we're just kicking around and doing some jazz and everybody's just got a deal. But um, I didn't fit into one club. And a lot of the things I liked were gender nonspecific things. I was always a music head. I had older siblings who loved like Velvet Underground and Bowie. And so I had music in me. I had theater in me. I had, um, I really love Monty Python. And so there was, when I wanted to do something that was like male perceived, I always got sort of kicked out. Like I didn't particularly love kids. So, um, I, when I wanted to make money pre 16, um, the, the boys at my school who were altar boys were making great bank um, doing weddings and funerals, they'd get tipped out huge. So I'm like, I want to do that. Like, that's a good way to make money. And they were like, no, you can't. And I was like, why? I don't have to carry an anvil. There's something physically that would stop me. Um, so there was just always these roadblocks that made me annoyed. And then I would just sort of like be cynical about the oppression. And then that cynicism became humor. And so I think that it was, um, maybe it became a tool to call out hypocrisy at first. And then um, I kind of just used it all the time in my personal life, just being sarcastic because I was going to teach history. That was my, that was my thing. I wanted to be a history teacher because my dad was in World War II, served in the first Marine Division of Guadalcanal never talked about it again. And I needed to know why these lapses in my dad's self uh, were happening. So I just wanted to study it. I love yeah. that answer. Because it was long winded. I'm sorry. It, it, 
there's no such thing. Um, <laughs> because it, it, it aligns with something that I've wondered about kind of for myself. Because I never thought of myself as funny, you know? Um, but you're really funny. Apparently, <laughs> yes. <laughs> but uh, kind of growing up, like I was a nerd. Uh, and I also, I don't think I explicitly felt, saw myself as political. I mean, by high school, you can kind of, you might claim some labels. But my politics early on, like when I was just like mad at people for making jokes about certain I lived in, I grew up in Texas. Please imagine what the jokes were about mm -hmm. um, using words we do not use. <laughs> and I would get mad about that. Um, I didn't think of that as being political. I thought of that as like keeping people from being jerks. You know, it's funny. I, I have that same thing in Minnesota where, and this is the good news, bad news about Minnesota is I've always believed that um, the the weather brought on a practical side in people that would 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 have to force them to just be nicer because it was an invitation. You know, you're trapped with like, each other. You have to be nice, you're, or you're passive aggressive, yeah. as the case may be. Hundred <laughs> percent. But even um, even in that, uh, I didn't like bullies, mm -hmm. and I, it was. Um, and I remember in high, growing up in high school, uh, we is if you don't know about Minnesota, it's it's like Lutheran martial law there. And the good news about the Lutheran Church is that they did a lot of sponsoring of refugees among Cambodian Vietnamese. And um, we had a lot of, of Vietnamese and Hmong refugees in my high school, and they were having a really hard time adjusting and people weren't nice. And it was, I would just see people be mean to people who were just struggling and it made me feel really bad. And so watching, you know, watching that happen was just very weird. But I think it's interesting. I, 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 I want to follow this thought a little further because I think it, what happened for you, I can see sort of, again, like explains a lot for me, which is that it's not so much being funny and it's not so much being political as using your sarcasm against bullies. Mm -hmm. And like, I remember in high school, um, I was asked to perform some comedy and, and I was like, no, <laughs> because there's no targets. Like I can't like, I need a thing, you know, like I need it. It just didn't occur to me that you could just walk up somewhere and like have some jokes that you told. Do yeah. you know what I mean? Like, yeah. <laughs> well, I do. And it was funny because someone dared me to do stand up. Uh -huh. A friend of mine in college said, you know, you should try doing stand up. Yeah. And the one thing I might act, I didn't start out being political. I was just, I would do a little bit of jokes about feminism and sexism, but there wasn't a whole lot of politics inserted, but then it, I had this weird thing happen where I was going along doing my jokes that were about dating and, you know, they were fine. And, and all of a sudden they stopped working. Mm -hmm. And I was like, this joke is a solid, gets a solid laugh. And I think the joke, like it were, they were jokes like, um, uh, one of the jokes was whenever I play monopoly with bald guys, they always pick the hat. 
Uh, all right. Yeah. Oh. Clever. Fine. What else? Um, a joke like that stops working. I go, I start recording myself. And then I hear myself saying, I think whenever I play Monopoly with bald guys, they always pick the hat. Or I think when I, I started inserting, oh. I think subconsciously and the audience hated that. And it was really crazy. Just saying, I think was this assertive, aggressive thing. And it's a radical act to be a woman on stage anyway, just to decide that you have something to say. But when I realized if I just said, I think and inserted an innocuous opinion that that was still as offensive to the, to the mostly men in the audience, I was like, I might as well just start saying shit then. Cause they had the same feeling like this is dumb. <laughs> I just have my opinions because I'm going to get the same reaction anyway. And then just start weeding out the people that don't like me and promoting who I am and realizing that I'm going to take a hit for a while on just generic people coming to my shows and being <laughs> mad. I got to want them anyway. So there was a rebranding of, of sort of what I needed to do so that I could get people to come. I do want to talk a little bit about the Daily Show's legacy, which I'm sure, sure you've been asked about before, but I just saw an article making this argument, so I was reminded, which is there's been like this weird, like hot taking of late night comedy where people are like, no, actually it's bad, right? Like it ruined America, it ruined politics, it ruined comedy. There's a lot of late night comedy ruined whatever. Mm-hmm. I saw a late night comedy made Trump possible. Article. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm going to just, I, I don't think the arguments are very good, but I'm curious about your response to them. And I feel like there's sort of two general flavors. One is that, and this is not just The Daily Show, right? This is like Samantha B. This is Colbert. This is, you know, all of the ilk. Spinoffs from The Daily Show. Right, right, right. Oh, most of them by people who are on The Daily Show. Yes. Um, made politics a matter of sport and made it too much about laughing at the other side. Like, we're not just, we don't just disagree with other people. We think they're pathetic. We think they're to be made fun of, right? Do you want to take that one first before I get to the sort of other kind of argument? Sure. I mean, what I... What I, I have no patience for people who blame comedians for anything that's wrong. If, if, <laughs> where, you, if where you went was the comedians decided to make fun of what's happening in the world instead of, oh, my God, the information sources that asked me to trust them to bring you the news have failed us so miserably that the comedy shows that decide to bring some information are, are also dragging terrible people for filth. And that's your problem. That's your problem. These comedy shows exist because the people that are supposed to be helping educate us failed us. The daily show has been on for 25 years because the media didn't learn its lesson. If it's responding and reflecting on how we get information, that means there's still kinks in the system. You can't blame a comic 
who decided to do a comedy show based on the news. The news is a thing. It's supposed to give you the news and facts and be accurate. So don't blame the comedy show that decides to talk about current events on making things cynical, because that means we put way too much weight on the comedians and not and, and not held accountable enough. The people who went to school for journalism and promised that they were going to investigate and bring us stuff and stay on stories. So, no. So that's that's my hot take. So your hot take is is dovetails real well with the other reconsideration of The Daily Show and its ilk, which is sort of exactly what you said, which is that late night comedy um, in taking on the news and doing its own kind of reporting. And I think we can agree, like, especially these days, like shows like John Oliver's, like that's a reported show. Um, made people distrust regular media. And I'm not saying they shouldn't distrust them. I'm really not. This this one, you could say it is the fault of the journalists, right? Or the fault of us assholes in the audience. Well, comedy is a take. Like this right. is this is the part that's the news isn't supposed to be a take. The but news we, but we, to- we got spoiled, let's say. Because yeah. I don't want to watch I, if I can watch John Oliver talk about plastics, you know, I'm not going to watch a fucking like documentary. I'm not going to watch like the news hours, like latest on plastics. Right. But that's not the fault of John. No, Oliver. I, know, I mean, I. But I mean, that's let's a, not, but that's let's not say it's the fault. Yeah. Let's but that's what people say, are trying to say. I mean, I've heard that, too. It's like comedy made people cynical. And it's like um, or. Did the news make creative people like me cynical? And then I made the daily show because that's the trajectory of how the daily show came to be is that I became cynical with the bullshit information that I was given. (laughs) And then I in turn just created content that was a response to that. So I think media folks should always be, looking at if there is somebody doing it better that didn't study it. And if people are trusting comics, um, you know, they never promise to not be opinionated. Um, Their, their promise is first and foremost to be funny. I think that you can decide that some people aren't, good at like breaking down an issue or talking about policies and take cheap shots. Um, But I would just say um, how many jokes about Trump were actually would dive into, like I would do jokes about Trump's cabinet. I would lay out like cabinet jokes and what's happening, but how many jokes about Trump were just literally analyzing a sociopath. And that could be anybody. Happy to be president. Which really, really. Well, that whole boring John Boehner's orange Donald Trump is, you know, has a weight problem or not funny. We we don't make fun of people's looks when they're normal people. Like, let's just go ahead and like, I don't know. It's you know, fat phobia. Especially when somebody's handing you a platter full of other shit. Yes, they need to be dragged. And um, I, I just feel like, you know, that's just. That's just 
lazy. It's you lazy. might not like lazy comedy, lazy. you know, and when you're doing monologue jokes versus breaking down into segments like John Oliver or Sam or the daily show, like those are all different animals. Yeah. And so um, I would also just like to point out that before Trump, the late night shows wouldn't book political standups, didn't have much mm. politics in their monologues at all. And, and would, would specifically say, that's not what we do. Right. You know, and all of a sudden it came to be because a, there's a target um, that's a clown, you know, this big Macy's balloon became president and um, now, now, now it's okay. And, you know, it's just interesting how it becomes okay when it's, when there's a volatile cheap target to take on instead of trying to make a point. I will add, um, for the sake of full disclosure, I have a lot of nerve bringing this up. No, since I was a part of that. Like what I did in my earlier career was just lay into people for laughs. Not for laughs, actually. Again, I often don't think of what I do as being funny. Like what I do is try to take on bullies, right? And humor's really good way of doing that. Mm -hmm. you know? um, but definitely Wonkette, I mean, almost the name itself, right? Like that's but I was always a fan of Wonkette and I loved having I loved when you were on an Air America. And I just loved like this extension of commentary and news and reporting that didn't, you didn't purport to be anything other than what you were. And that is the difference. Like what was interesting, <laughs> I know. And what was interesting to me about it was when the daily show started catching on and you could see traditional like, um, cable news saying, Oh, okay. People want funny graphics. It's like, no, they don't. That's not, that wasn't the point. Yeah. The point, that, that's what we do. You are supposed to actually just be good at your job. So like even the interpretation of why the daily show worked was sometimes lost on the people that were in the media. So I feel, I feel like there's a million different ways to, get people engaged. And, and I will say having, having gone and espoused all this stuff, um, I think the reason that I transitioned from just being responsive is that I always did want to say, if I'm going to fill you full of information, that's going to enrage you and make you laugh. I also want to be the person that can tell you what to go do about it because it be, I started to feel like an anger fluffer, you know, I would just like get people so riled up. And that's why I think with, you know, abortion access, Lady Parts Justice League abortion access front, um, I'm able to do all the things I love to do. I'm able to call out hypocrisy on an issue that people still shy away from more than they should, because we're here because it's only talked about in crisis. And even the smartest people I know who, who are, hosting shows in primetime and doing kind of stuff, um, get it wrong sometimes, use the vernacular of anti-abortion extremists, um, still gender the issue, um, don't understand the details, don't talk to the people who are actually fighting the fight. 
Um, and so it's, it, I'm, I felt like I've never been more fulfilled in a weird way because I get to do all the things. Thank you so much. This is actually a perfect time for us to take a short break because I want to talk more explicitly and maybe I need to use the word explicitly about Abortion Access Front. And we're going to be right back. With Friends Like These is brought to you by Stamps.com. Now, y'all may not know it, but I am a small business. I am a third story LLC incorporated, except I'm not because when I moved to Texas, there's all this paperwork you have to do to remove yourself if you want to... Um, take advantage of the fact that Texas has no income tax, for instance. I actually had to change the name of my company because there's another third story LLC out here somehow. <laughs> but if you have a small business yourself, you know there's nothing more valuable than your time. So stop wasting it on trips to the post office. Stamps.com makes it easy to mail and ship right from your computer. Save time and money with Stamps.com. Send letters and packages for less with discounted rates from USPS, UPS, and more. Another thing about moving, and this is moving myself and my business, is that I've had to like redirect a lot of mail. Um, some mail that uh, comes for comes for my husband, uh, some mail that comes for uh, you know the person who used to live here. All of that, I don't have to go to the post office to do it. I can stay in the comfort, the air conditioning of my home. Since 1998, Stamps.com has been an indispensable tool for nearly 1 million businesses. Stamps.com brings the services of the U.S. Postal Service and UPS shipping right to your computer. Whether you're in an office, sending invoices, a side hustle Etsy shop, or a full-blown warehouse shipping out orders, Stamps.com will make your life easier. All you need is a computer and a standard printer, no special supplies or equipment. Within minutes, you're up and running, printing official postage for any letter, any package, anywhere you want to send it. And you'll get exclusive discounts on postage and shipping from USPS and UPS. Once your mail is ready, just schedule a pickup or drop it off. No traffic, no lines, no going out into 99 degree heat, which happened this week. Cut the confusion out of shipping. With Stamps.com's new Rate Advisor tool, you can compare shipping rates and timelines to easily find the best option. Save time and money with Stamps.com. There is no risk. And with my promo code, FRIENDS, you get a special offer that includes a four-week trial plus free postage and a digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. Just go to Stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in FRIENDS. That's Stamps.com, promo code FRIENDS, Stamps.com. Never go to the post office again. With Friends Like These is brought to you by ZipRecruiter. When it comes to looking for a job, most people would probably agree that the whole experience is not fun. In fact, here are some things I would rather do than look for a job. Leave the house in this heat. Eat tortilla chips without salsa. Look at Ted Cruz's punchable face. But it doesn't have to be this way. ZipRecruiter gets it. In fact, they've actually figured out ways to make the job search process easier, a lot easier. When you sign up at ZipRecruiter.com easy, you can create a free profile. Then you get matched to great jobs, but there's a lot more. ZipRecruiter will proactively pitch your profile to employers whose jobs match your experience. Unlike with other job sites, if an actual person from the company really likes what they see, they can personally invite you to apply for their job. Candidates who are invited to apply on ZipRecruiter are nearly three times as likely to get hired. This is according to more than 10,000 logged in ZipRecruiter users who reported being hired through ZipRecruiter during September and October 2020. 
Plus, if you like the job, you can apply to it and many others with just one click. It's that easy. No wonder ZipRecruiter is the number one job rated site in the US. What are you waiting for? If you want an easier job search, sign up for free right now at ZipRecruiter.com easy. Once again, go to ZipRecruiter.com easy to sign up today, absolutely free, and put ZipRecruiter to work for you. With friends like these, it's brought to you by Script. It is a struggle to find the right book, audiobook, podcast. There is so much content in the world. You could spend as much time looking for your next book as you do actually reading it. With Scribd, you get instant access to millions of ebooks, audiobooks, magazines, and more. You also get thoughtfully curated editor's picks and smart recommendations based on what you've read, which makes choosing your next book that much simpler. And I, this is my genuine personal endorsement, they have historical documents. That is, in fact, the thing that I've used Scribd for, like, throughout my use of it years and years ago. Uh, they have congressional testimony, and they have, I saw the Mayflower Compact. So it's not just books, it's tons of stuff. The world's most fascinating library is at your fingertips, all for just $9.99 a month. Explore your interests in any format, ebooks, audiobooks, magazines, and more. You'd enjoy instant access to Scribd's entire library for less than the cost of a single book. It couldn't be simpler. No complicated credits or additional purchases. Easily switch between titles, genres, and formats right from the app. And discover must-read new work from celebrated authors like Roxane Gay, Charles Yu, and more. Premiering exclusively on Scribd. Right now, Scribd is offering our listeners a free 60-day trial. Go to try.scribd.com slash friends for your free trial. That's try.scribd.com dot com slash friends to get 60 days of Scribd for free. When booking with other vacation rental apps sounds like this. This place doesn't look like the pictures. Ah! Is there a door behind all those spiders? It's time to try one that sounds more like a vacation. Ah, this is perfect. Relax, you booked a Verbo. So yes, let's talk about abortion. Abortion. Let's talk about abortion, 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 abortion. Abortion, abortion, abortion. abortion. Let's, just, let's just say the word as many times as possible. Because I know that one of the reasons that your organization exists, one of the purposes of the organization is to destigmatize abortion. Indeed. Now, I, I'll ask an obvious question but I'm, I'm curious to hear your specific answer to it, which is why is that important? I think it's important for a number of reasons. And in a larger scale, I think abortion stigma grew because we allowed anti-abortion extremists and to define how abortion was talked about, what the narrative around abortion was. And I don't think that we ever did a self check-in on how do we feel about abortion? Why does abortion exist? Um, and so I'm not even, I'm not even talking about like the, the extremists who are out there saying terrible things. I think we who believe that abortion rights exist have done a terrible disservice to ourselves. And I have seen the harm that it's caused people like me who've had abortions, people who provide them. Um, and I don't think people really think about phrases that they say when they say, I'm no one's pro-abortion, I'm pro-choice. 
And I often say like, what, what compels you to make that really strong stance that no one's pro-abortion because I am pro-abortion. I am, I don't find anything morally wrong with abortion. And so if you say that you are inferring a caveat that there is something wrong with abortion, that it's something bad and people who provide abortions it's a kick in the gut for them anytime someone says that, or at least in the cases of rape and incest, we need abortion. It's like, why are you purporting that there's good abortions and there's bad abortions? There isn't. There's only the abortion someone needs. I, I like to point out, I know what they're saying when they say no one's pro-abortion because they, they are making this weird leap that being pro-abortion means everyone gets abortions. Everyone, all everyone, you get one and you get one and you get one. But what we mean, I'm pro casts for broken arms. You know, I am pro pacemakers for people that need pacemakers. I am pro medicine for people who need medicine. And it's just an abortion is just like those things. It is exactly like those things. No one would ever say I am like, I don't think anyone should ever get a cast for their broken arm because that's like interfering with nature, you know? But there's no morality no, tied yes, around Exactly. That. No, and there and shouldn't so, be. That's why you're pro-abortion in the same way I'm pro-cast. Yeah, and I think that for me, um, even for people, I say anybody should have an abortion and they should be free. You know, I think that... Uh, the only thing that we should be, and when we talk about prevention of abortions, it's you, you should use condoms, you should use things that help you prevent STDs, but abortion is safe. I mean, I have a radical stance on abortion, and I am more than happy to All right. put it out there in the I, universe. I, I officially apologize for trying to de-radicalize your stance a little no, bit. No, it's quite I, all right. Because I, I, I really like my... <laughs> I like your pro cast. I think it's fine. I but just you want to you want to get out there. You want to get out there like, with your stance. Yes. Yeah, I would like, and also understanding that sometimes you are going to have to be the person that people are like. That's too much. You're a bridge too far, and bang it down so that we can get to a point where abortion is 100% normalized because what 100% normalized looks like is everybody gets an abortion when they want one. Um, if you want to have abortions, have them, have several. I don't care. It's not my business. If, if it is just, isn't my business is if you need an abortion, you should get one because you've made the decision that you need an abortion and because it's safe and be, it, it's the, the morality is not, it's not my job. It just isn't like there's so many circumstances in the naked city uh, that, you know, and also it's not just about abortion because they're trying to criminalize birth control. Mm -hmm. They're trying to conflate plan B and IUDs with abortion. You know, there's so much they're trying to say that you can reverse your abortion mid abortion. A nine states require a doctor who doesn't believe it's true to have to say, may I counsel you on abortion reversal? It's we are just living in abortion conspiracy theory land. You know why? And that's what's happening is that there is wild conspiracy theories around fetal development, pregnancy. I mean, it is 
it is really uh, an unbelievable time that we're living in. And I want to get to Texas in just a second. <laughs> yes. I love that you've taken this intentionally radical stance. I really do. It does make me wonder if your stance evolved from anything else. Has your position on abortion changed over time? Were you ever any less radical than you are now? I think I was. And I think it was, um, I had, I had respectability people telling me that I couldn't have those feelings because it would, you know, the same kinds of people who uh, shamed me when I said, called for justice for Monica Lewinsky in the Mm nineties shamed me when I supported Barack Obama over Hillary the first time shamed me telling me that I wasn't a good feminist because this is what we had and this is how we had to do it. And there's many paths to take. And there is always the path of the radical always matters because I don't want to get invited to the parties in DC. I don't care if I ever get a conference in a room with any lawmakers that is for other people. I want to get people their abortions and I want abortion providers while they're constantly under siege to know that there's an organization that is gathering volunteers that is going to bring them love and joy and bring their community to them all the time as they provide this care and do this work. And I, I'm not, and I'm not, and I'm especially not interested in people who have told me that the way that I talk about things is, is doing harm when I haven't seen any progress in the way they talk about things. Mm. You know, if we can't name it and we can't normalize it, how do we fight for it with the, with the fervor that it needs to be fought for? I can't, no one's legislating a pro-choice. And by the way, it's very convenient to say pro-choice when that's a position of privilege. Mm -hmm. There's many people who would, who consider abortion, who are poor people of color, who consider abortion because of their economic circumstances. If we aren't going to value all pregnancy outcomes, we're not going to say to that 15 year old who, whose beliefs say, I want to have this baby and I'm pregnant, we're not going to value that pregnancy as it comes into the world, as it lives in the world, then we're not doing anyone. There's no choice in that. That person didn't get to make a choice. That person had an abortion because we did not provide and do not provide the care and the tools for that person to have a healthy family and to thrive. And if we don't provide the tools and the, and the, and the financial wherewithal to someone who says, you know, I don't know what I need to have an abortion we're not going to honor that, then we're just, there's no choice. There is no choice. It's interesting to me. You did mention kind of offhand a second ago that you have had an abortion. But I've that, had more than one. Oh, yeah. All right. That you've had abortions. I've had abortions. But you were already radical or did those have an impact on how you felt about the process, the procedure, well, the politics? You know, I was brought up Catholic and I think that I was prop. I would probably say I don't, I don't remember abortion as a thing uh, 
until I got pregnant. The mm. first time I ever had sex. <gasps> From a toilet seat, though, right? No, sorry. Like, yeah, I caught it. I wow. caught, I caught it six feet away from somebody. I wasn't wearing a mask, right? Um, so, and I ended up at one of those fake crisis pregnancy centers mm. that I thought was a clinic because it was 1979, and back then, pregnancy tests were really expensive. They weren't widely available, and so you had to find a place to get pregnant, and I. I'd never been to the gynecologist, you know, I'd never been anywhere. So I saw an advertisement on a bus and I went to it and there was a woman dressed up in a lab coat and I thought she was a doctor. And she showed me pictures that we all see outside those clinics, those, you know, mutilated fetuses and said, you know, this is what you're contemplating doing. And it was terrifying. And I remember the reason I got to have my abortion was because I got back on a bus and I saw an ad for a place that was a legit clinic. And I was, it wasn't Planned Parenthood. It was, it was called Midwest health center for women. And, uh, and I went there and, you know, it was, it was, I was scared, but also it took like two seconds and I didn't feel any pain. And the people who counseled me there, and this was the part that I found, I think that what, made me be somebody who thought abortion was the right choice for me, at least at the time. And then it evolved was that they asked me questions that I could have answered either way and decided on a different pregnancy outcome for myself. It wasn't leading questions. They weren't like, of course you want this abortion, right? You know, it was like, what are your plans for your life? Do you have a supportive partner? Do you have supportive parents? Um, if you were to go home and tell your parents this information, how would they react? Um, you know, and all this kind of stuff. And it was just like, all the questions led me to say, I don't want kids. And I never liked kids. Even as a little kid, I was like, don't give me a doll, that easy bake oven thing. Why are you giving me chores as toys? I feel like all of this is the worst. So it was never motherhood or parenting was never anything I fantasized about ever as a kid. And so I was steadfast in my knowing that like, this is not something I want. And to this day at age 60, I didn't have kids and I never wanted them. So I think it became more radicalized when I had people who were, and I'm air quoting, you know, pro-choice, um, caveating my abortion constantly, you know, and my abortions, you know, oh, you know, I just, people are just like, you know, why didn't you use birth control? Oh, why didn't you do this? Like, oh, um, you know, you must have a lot of regret or that must weigh heavy on you. You must have really thought, and you know, how do people do that? And it's just like, I'm done. I'm done with you making me feel like garbage, you know? And it's like abortion puts people on, it's not going to solve all your problems, but if you decide you need an abortion, it will, it will, the access to it can at least put you on the path that you initially thought you were going on. And I think everyone deserves that option, you know? And so I can tell you right now that my life would have been 100% different if I would have decided to not terminate that pregnancy. I was in an abusive relationship. I was in high school. Um, I couldn't tell anybody. He was a popular guy who just beat me up like on the reg. I didn't know how to get out of it. And 
the one thing that I knew for sure was if I had a kid with this person, that I would never escape the abuse. I didn't know how, but I did know that I could, I could hopefully figure out a future without this person if I wasn't going to be parenting with this person. And so, you know, everyone else can be damned. You know, it's like I made a tweet where I was like, if you've ever enjoyed The Daily Show at any point in your life, you can thank abortion. Because I can tell you one thing right now that there wouldn't be no Daily Show if I hadn't had an abortion. Your radical stance, when I said I, I love, I love it. One of the reasons I love it is there should be people making radical stances. Yeah, there should be. I am one of them often. I've argued and been pro-national healthcare for 20 years, perhaps longer. And I remember people saying, oh, you know, Anna, Jesus, that's, I mean, what are you, a communist? You know, yeah, yeah. like, the, that's never going to happen, da, 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 da. And of course, we lived through the Clintons, you know, pratfall on that. And then, like, I just remember Bernie running and me being like, see? <laughs> like, yeah, exactly. See? This exactly. is a thing that people want to talk about. And, and, and so that brings me to the changing of minds. You mentioned offhandedly that uh, people sometimes criticize you because your opinion will turn people off, right? On the other hand, there is an argument for moving the Overton window with extreme mm -hmm. stances. Mm -hmm. But then there's today. Mm -hmm. What do you say? to someone who feels like abortion is gross and ugly and shameful, how do you maybe persuade them? And before you answer, I, I will posit that this person probably thinks of themselves as a good liberal, like Ooh. so many people do who I have met, good pro who, people who think they are good progressives, good liberals, et cetera, but who use, you know, whisper when they say abortion and do the thing where they say I'm pro-choice and not pro-abortion and um, think of it as a tragedy, you know, et cetera, et cetera. I, I find that to be extremely common mm -hmm. with people who share so many other political values with me. So I'm not, I'm not giving you a high bar. <laughs> no, that's okay. But I, what I, what I often say to those people is we need to have conversations with people who've had abortions and with abortion providers because the stance that is said like that often comes from not talking about it and people who are in your life who've had abortions probably aren't talking to you because you're putting up a judgment wall that you didn't even understand was a judgment wall because it sounds reasonable and it sounds reasonable because we didn't lay down the actual reasonable conversation around abortion. We have been basing all of our internalized stigma on somebody else's blanket viewpoint and morality around abortion. And that's a problem. We wouldn't allow that in other issues. You know, we wouldn't do that. And so we need to talk more because if you're comfortable saying that, there hasn't been enough conversation with the right people. With Friends Like These is brought to you by BetterHelp. 
What interferes with your happiness? For me, it's kind of a surprising one. Keeping up my house. I love my house. I love it. I love it so much. I'm so glad I bought it. But I need to come to peace with the fact that it is an ongoing project that will never be done. There's always going to be something to do. Now for you, BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. You can connect in a safe and private online environment, making it so convenient you can begin communicating in under 24 hours. It's not self-help, it's professional counseling. Send a message to your counselor anytime and you'll get timely and thoughtful responses. Plus, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions, all without ever having to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches so they make it easy and free to change counselors if needed. The service is available for clients worldwide and it's more affordable than traditional offline counseling and financial aid is available. Their counselors have a broad range of expertise available, which you may not get locally. Licensed professional counselors specialize in depression, anger, stress, anxiety, relationships, sleeping, and trauma. Anything you share is confidential. You can check out their testimonials posted daily on their site. In fact, so many people have been using BetterHelp. They're recruiting additional counselors in all 50 states. I want you to start living a happier life today. As a listener, you'll get 10% off your first month by visiting betterhelp.com friends. Join over 1 million people who have taken charge of their mental health. Again, that's betterhelp, better, H-E-L-P, dot com slash friends. With Friends Like These is brought to you by Made For. Have you tried meditation apps but couldn't keep the routine? Have you tried different fitness apps and couldn't maintain your goals? Let Made For help you build lasting positive changes from the inside out so you can feel like your best self. Made For is a better way to create new habits that benefit your body and your mind. Each month, you receive a free kit with a 21-day challenge of one small action to do every day that you can easily integrate into your normal routine. There's no apps, no screens, or devices required. These simple tasks shift your mindset and behaviors slowly over time, so you actually stick to your new habits long-term. Made For uses neuroscience and positive psychology to support positive habits around gratitude, mental clarity, movement, and so much more. Focus on one theme each month to help you achieve your fullest, happiest life over the course of 10 months. It's the wellness program you only need once. See the results that last a lifetime with Made For. Right now, Made For is offering our listeners 15% off your order with promo code FRIENDS. Payment is flexible, and this promotion applies whether you order an intro box or the full program. So go to getmadefor.com and take control of your well-being. Use promo code FRIENDS for 15% off. That's getmadefor.com, promo code FRIENDS. With Friends Like These is brought to you by Seed. Did you know probiotics are serious science? Kombucha, kimchi, those other fermented foods you're eating, though nutritious and delicious, don't qualify as a probiotic according to science. You should try seed. You will feel a difference pretty quickly, but you know what I actually really love about it and what makes it easier for me to kind of keep on the regimen? It looks more like a beauty product than a health product. It's like just really well designed. I keep the jar out on my counter it is legitimately pretty to look at. But there are other reasons you should buy it. Not all probiotics are created equal. Seed is a daily symbiotic. What is a daily symbiotic? A broad spectrum two-in-one probiotic plus prebiotic. 
Seed has created a proprietary engineered two-in-one capsule that protects probiotics through digestion to ensure delivery to the colon. Now, what does the daily symbiotic do for you? It supports benefits in and beyond the gut, including gastrointestinal function, skin health, heart health, gut immune function, gut barrier integrity, and micronutrient synthesis of vitamins like B9 and B12. Now, gut immune function is not just boosting the immune system. It's about supporting the crosstalk between your intestinal cells and your immune cells. Many see improvements in digestion within 24 to 48 hours, which can include bowel movement regularity and eased bloating. Start a new healthy habit today. Visit seed.com slash friends and use code friends to redeem 20% off your first month of Seed's daily symbiotic. That's seed.com slash friends and use offer code friends. So I said we would get to Texas. We have arrived in Texas. We've arrived in Texas. Texas. I am in Texas. Are you in Austin? Yes. Yes, I am. Awesome. Perfect. So, um, Texas, I have written here, Texas, what the fuck are you going to do? Please. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Well, um, there's a lot. In full disclosure, I am on the board of Whole Women's Health Alliance, which mm-hmm. is a clinic that is one of the plaintiffs in trying to fight this. So, mm-hmm. um, Oh, I don't. I, that's full disclosure. That's awesome. Like, you're the perfect person to answer this question. Because, yes, I mean that when I that's not a funny, silly question. What yeah, yeah. are we going to do? What are we going to do? What well, are we going to do? I think um, I think the there's so many answers to that, and there's so many things that we need to do, right? And I think that as activists, what we're trying to do right now is I often use the fire analogy, and I every fire department that is works in the movement should be putting their hoses on Texas. And then helping get people out of Texas to get abortion where they need to get them someplace else. That is a stopgap. Let me be clear. That is something that just needs to be done so people can get their procedures. The larger scope goes back to a couple of things. One, stigma. If we don't talk about abortion and we don't normalize it and we aren't coming forward with our abortion stories and we are not centering abortion in our activism and in our politics with politicians, holding them accountable. You you do not get my vote unless you are actively going to protect abortion access. That's how politicians respond. Now we have Texas that has so many crackpots. You know, I mean, you guys like, you know, there is Texas politicians whose names I could (laughs) grab, you know, Tony Kinderhold and Briscoe Kane and these Briscoe Kane, who is one of the authors of this bill has in his Twitter bio proud hunter of baby killers or some such thing. So um, we have to understand that if we do not stop electing state and local politicians who center abortion, we are going to just be in a cyclical repetitive case. I mean, of doing this. So we need to stop. And also it's really great to just make that as a goal because honestly, they're the same people who are bringing you COVID, you know, fucking up the planet, 
mucking up everything and they lead with abortion, but they're doing every other horrible thing too. So if you just find out who the anti-abortion people are, you will solve many, many, many liberal slash progressive issues by making sure they don't get elected. So also understanding that the anti-abortion movement, the crackpots are getting elected. It's not just a fringe people out in front of clinics and they're actually, those people are becoming elected officials. Um, we need to figure out a way that, I mean, our, our, we've been screwed for a generation, if not more, on the court system that brings cases to the Supreme Court. So I guess back to A, we can't elect these people because they are going to push laws through a court system that is hostile to abortion and we could be hosed. Um, and we need to loosen regulations on how we access care, medication, abortion. It's easy. You know, it's, it's classified by HHS as this like drug that you can't get via prescription or just get it's in this classification all of its own that it has to be prescribed by a doctor, which is trash. It's safer than aspirin. So we need to declassify that. We need to tell the HHS that they need to declassify medication abortion. And so that you can get it from in a prescription. And we need to, I mean, and we need to make sure that our communities have abortion providers. I think abortion needs to also, I'm, I'm still unclear as somebody who's done this work for a lot of years, I'm still unclear why abortion provision was parsed out into clinics that provide abortion and didn't just stay in general practice. I'm still unclear about that. We need to say if one in four people who can get pregnant have had an, will have an abortion in their lifetime, it's a, it's a procedure that people need and it's safe and it's, and I think that we don't activate on it in a way that matters. I think we've done a disservice in, in shutting, you know, cisgendered men out of the conversation instead of, I mean, I don't need a man speaking for me on abortion or legislating abortions, but we do need people who can't get pregnant to understand that if you say you care about human rights, that you need to center this because literally forcing somebody into a decision that will change the course of their life forever when they have told you they don't have the capacity for it is a form of bondage. And we need to be against that. And we need to be as outraged about it as, as it sounds, you know, and I just feel like if you actually care about this, you got to act like it and it has to be incorporated into your life in a loud way. A friend of mine, or somewhere I heard a better thing to call the so-called pro-life people, pro-forced birth. Yeah, I think the forced birth movement is, is an incredibly powerful phrase. I love that. I do. I love it so much. I kind of want to do like a list for people almost about things you can do once you finish listening to this podcast. Dear listener, I sincerely would like you 
if you do nothing else, to stop using the term pro-life. That would be great. In any conversation, whether it's with a friend who is also pro-choice or whether it is with a a family member, a stranger, whatever, you don't have to use pro-forced birth if you want because, you know, like that might be a lot. But you could say anti-abortion, anti-reproductive health, anti-health equity is another one that I have heard. Um, But if that is the the only thing you do, that will be a service. Anna, I love that so much. I love that so much because, and being somebody who has had uh, loved ones, including myself, loved ones be murdered. Uh, People have had their clinics firebombed, vandalized, followed home, children harmed. I know an abortion provider who didn't hang curtains in their home because if the person who had repeatedly tried to murder them was shooting into their windows, she wanted them to see her and not her children. Do not. And and that's why I I couldn't agree with you more. That's why they just do not deserve to be called pro-life in any way, shape or form. It's a movement that co-signs on that. And then let's just do a little list for people, because I would say another thing that people could take action on immediately if they wanted to after they while you're still listening, dear listener, (laughs) give some money to an abortion access fund. Yes. And if you just go to. Yes. Tell us. Tell us more about that. So if you go to NNAF.org, that stands for National Network. National Network of Abortion Funds, uh, there's a pull down and it lists all the states. I would say assess where you live. And if you live in a great state that's like doing great work, uh, maybe give to a fund in Texas. Maybe give to a fund in uh, Oklahoma. Maybe give it like Let's just, any- just throw a dart at the South and like. I mean, but also Ohio. And then what we're going to be faced with and what you've got to track is there's something called practical support funds, which are helping provide the transportation, lodging, child care. Those practical support funds are often navigating with a patient to help them find the, the fund that will help them pay for their abortion, help them get out of the state, get the travel they need, get them back home. And so As we are listening, as you're listening to this, your immediate thing you should do is to stop saying pro-life, donate to an abortion fund. And the third thing I'm going to tell you to do is to sign up with my organization, which is Abortion Access Front. And the reason that I say that to you is that the big part of our work is to direct people where they need to go as things develop. And so when there's a big story that happens in Texas, if you go to our website right now and click on um, resources, it lists every single abortion fund in Texas. It lists all the practical support funds that are helping folks in Texas get out. It gives you a bunch of information and do's and don'ts. You know, don't refer to it as the Taliban. It's the Christian extremism that has led us to this. Don't don't try to be Islamophobic and do that stuff. So um, we can guide you as things are happening 
where there's rallies. We have, we have a great adopt a clinic program. So if you live in an area and you and your friends want to get together and help out with the needs of a local clinic, um, we can hook you up and we, we provide those, those resources. Um, and so there's all sorts of things that you can do all the time. And we help track constantly where you need to be paying attention. Cause sometimes you'll get bombarded with a whole bunch of emails from places that aren't actually doing the work in the place that is needing it. And what we can do is laser point you there. And that's like our function. I love that so much. Um, because the politics part, I feel like if you're listening to the show, you know, you, you got that right. Like, you know, the voting part of it, um, but being able to do something with your feet, you know, um, to, to move, um, to make a connection, um, with a person perhaps, um, who is in this world, you know, and so much of sustained activism comes from making those connections and being on the ground and that, and we've been on the ground for five years. I mean, we've been to 30 States. We visited over a hundred clinics. We have done, we, we do their lawn. We repaint their clinics. We do this Habitats for Humanity program that works with clinics. And then we find local contractors who can help sustain the work because a lot of folks don't realize that if you're providing abortion, um, especially in a place that's hostile, you can't get a gardener, you can't get a plumber, you can't get a roofer, you can't get a paver. And so we will go in and do large and small projects because my team's really cool. It's like people have all these mad skills. And then when we do our shows, we'll do like comedy music shows that are really fun. And then we'll bring the provider on stage and the activists on stage and have a conversation and they will do direct asks. And every single show we find a contractor or a gardener. And I'll never forget this guy in Oklahoma city was like, wait, are you telling me that activism is I get hired to, you know, do landscaping at the clinic. And I said, yes, your van parked outside of a clinic says I support these people being here and you get paid. And it's like a light bulb goes off in people's heads and it's really cool. You mentioned this when you were talking about abortion access front that you do shows and yes. you do describe yourself as part Habitat Humanity for abortion providers and part USO, uh, which young'uns out there might not know what the USO is. It's United Service Organization. And whenever you hear people make a Bob Hope joke, probably they're making a joke about this, which is also it, it continues today and it's entertainers tour for the troops. They, they, they keep spirits up. Um, I think you still see USO like rooms and airports. A lot of comics to this day are yeah. doing these tours. Yeah. Comics that you know and love are going out all the time and helping out yeah. folks and doing shows. Yep. So tell us about that part. So that's the part that is, I think the Habitat for Humanity and the USO piece go together. And so I want to preface it by saying I, in when these laws started happening and Wendy Davis did the filibustering and all that happened 10 years ago, I took it upon myself to just go out on the road with my two dogs in a van and travel around the country and do shows and go visit clinics. And each clinic I went to, uh, they would say to me with stunned heartbreak, why are you here? (laughs) 
like no one comes here to visit us. Like I don't like, and, and I, it was like, I couldn't believe it. I was like, that is a problem. So I got back to New York and I had a potluck supper with my friends who were comics. And, and I said, there's a hole in our movement. And the hole is no one's looking out for the providers. People are escorting patients. People are raising money for patients. But there's not an organization that is making sure that those who are providing the care are getting any kind of community uh, growth or support. So we decided to travel across the country and do comedy music shows in it's like, and I'm not talking about, we're going to Portland because it's cool, right? We're going to Huntsville, Birmingham, Oklahoma city, Montgomery, Alabama, you know, we're traveling in these towns and then we, we do comedy shows with famous comedians, musicians, and then it's like a variety show. And then we have a conversation with the activists and the the providers. And it's explicitly and about, for the providers, right? So, Because I, I want people to make the connection. No, it's, it's for the public. I want to jump in here because I want to, people to make the connection here between the USO and what you're doing, which is that this is for the spirits. This is to keep spirits yeah. up. This is Yes, it's to keep the spirits up for the yes. providers. And the way to keep the spirits up for the providers is to call your show Abortion AF, the tour, or, you know, and then fill up a room full of fans who love comedy and music and also care, do a show, and then center them as a piece in the show and have them get applause, have people care about... Um, about what's going on. We have tables in the room. So after the show, not only have they heard from the providers as how their immediate needs are, uh, can be met, um, all of the organizations that are working in service of abortion access in that community and want to help with the clinic can sign up and do so. We'll vet them. We vet the people that are with the clinic so that we make sure there's not crackpots. And, and then we've built communities along the way. We've had a 40% retention rate of people who sign up, which is unheard of. But the craziest thing on it is that through the course of this five years and us developing relationships with the clinic and the activists, especially the um, escorts, we started a database of anti-abortion extremism in each town. And we now have the most robust anti-abortion database. And we brought together and created a coalition of all of these smaller organizations who exchange information about the anti-abortion extremists who are doing stuff. So when January 6th happened, we had been following their accounts with fake accounts on Facebook and places. We identified 30 anti-abortion extremists who were at the Capitol that day and turned them over to the FBI. And so that is um, another piece of our work now is having that database and working with security organizations to grow the database. And now activists who we work with have access to the database and they can type things in and find out a bunch of stuff. And so that's also been pretty cool. That's amazing, actually. Yeah. Yeah. You know, they're, they're leading the anti-mask rallies. They are part of the white supremacy. I mean, there's a, a group called um, the Church of Planned Parenthood that is based out of Oregon that is 
they purport to do services outside of Planned Parenthood, but they've hired the Proud Boys to be their security. So it is, um, the intersections are great. And we just want also everyone to know that if you care about. Is someone telling us that we're keeping you? I do need to go potty soon. Okay. Um, yeah, that's Mr. Funk. Um, well, if, if you're, if, if, you know, you're, I'm trying to say, well, if your dog is telling you need to go, we can wrap it up. Um, but I also want to know what's in your future, Liz. Are you going to found some more stuff? Um, my future is kind of exciting because as we've just talked about the lack of information and the inconsistent way that we talk about abortion, um, abortion access front is launching on December 2nd, a YouTube talk show once a week called feminist buzzkills live. And it's going to be funny and smart and have interviews with providers and researchers and activists and comedians and musicians. And we're going to break down each week um, the news that's going on with a uh, lack of access to abortion, the politicians who are doing it and giving people like ways that they can help out. So it's a weekly talk show that I'm really excited about um, that we're launching. And, you know, I'm just going to keep fighting this fight until we can move the needle ever so slightly. I feel like um, this fight needs a good voice and needs a bunch of good people in it. So I think I've, I think I've landed. I think I've landed. Liz, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank, and thank you, you for, for everything you me. do, actually. Thank you. Oh, stop. Stop. But thank you for having me. I loved it. A huge thanks to Liz Winstead for being a leader in this fight and for everything she has done including coming on the show. You can learn more about the Abortion Access Front at their website, aafront.org. And as I said in the interview, if you consider yourself an ally in this fight, there is one incredibly small and easy thing for you to do. Please do it. Stop using the phrase pro-life to describe the people who are actually pro-forced birth. The first step to changing the law and changing hearts and minds is changing our vocabulary. This show is a product of Crooked Media. Andy Gardner-Bernstein is our producer. Patrick Antonetti is our audio editor. And please, take care of yourselves.